Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in. Today is a bonus episode. What that means is that this episode has little or nothing to do with my mission and vision. Instead, I'm talking with cool and interesting people about cool and interesting things. Sometimes these discussions will be with people who I agree with. Sometimes with people I disagree with. But either way, we are exploring topics which I feel are either interesting, important, or both. I feel strongly that it's important to be able to have a respectful and honest conversation about any topic, especially the ones I disagree with. It's only by being curious about what what makes other people tick that we can understand why they believe what they do and why they act how they do. I believe that the more we understand each other, the more united the world will be. And that's a good thing. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy the conversation. And we're rocking and rolling live for another edition of Operation Tangle, Romeo the Podcast. Today is definitely falling under the uh, category of bonus. So this is one of, the, of my bonus episodes. It really doesn't have a whole lot to do with um, uh, the, the typical scope of this show. It's just cool and interesting topics with cool and interesting people. And that's you, Jazz. Thanks for being here, brother. Hey, Mark. Thanks so much for having me on here. I know it took a little while for us to <laughs> coordinate this, but uh, it's, it's an honor to be on here. And I want to say thank you for your service. And thank you for all the great work you do through this podcast. Well, I appreciate that, Jazz. It's uh, good of you to say so. Um, what an interesting thing. This is twice in a row now that I've had an MP on, a shadow minister, and the day I have him on is the day that they have a new portfolio. <laughs> the last time was with John Broussard. Okay. And uh, had him booked as one thing, and he came on as another thing. I go, what in the <laughs> hell? Um, so actually, let's start there. That's got to be difficult. All the work that you did as shadow minister of immigration, refugees, and citizenship how do you pass the torch without all your good work being lost? Um, you know what? We have such a great team, and I don't think it's lost work. It's just continued work. I think that the the people that are on our team are more than capable of doing even better than what I did. And it, the torch got passed on to an amazing MP. He's my neighbor. He's my riding neighbor, Tom Kamich, who himself is an immigrant that moved here and has a big heart for those that are being persecuted around the world. Uh, he was one of the first people to bring up the issues that are happening in Iran with the women, the treatment of them. Uh, Zina Masamini, as we all know what happened with her. He was one of the first people to bring that up. He stands up a lot for the Kurdish community as well. Um, you know, we, we did a lot of work, especially when it came to the Afghan interpreters. Uh, whatever the situation that was going on inside of Afghan, we had the committee that was, now it's completed. But to keep pushing the government on the report and the recommendations that came out of there, I know Tom is going to do an amazing job. One of the platform promises that Pierre's made that I really like uh, kind of hits home for me. It reminds me of when I first got out of the Army. I was working downtown Calgary as a commissionaire, <laughs> as uh, some people do when they get out. And um, there was a guy there who was an immigrant, and he just had a look about him that he was just miserable pushing that broom. At, um, but I guess it was better to push that broom here than it was doing whatever he was doing at home. But as, as I was watching him, I thought, I'm going to talk to this guy because he doesn't look right with that, with that broom or that mop. Like, this is not a fit. Um, I had to talk to him. So I, I went over, I said, what'd you do back home? He says, I was a pharmacist. What a waste of talent. Absolutely. So 
that is something that he's trying to bridge that gap. Now, the, I'm, the story I'm talking about was from 1995, so this is nothing new, where we have talented, educated people, in this case a pharmacist, and they're pushing a broom. How do we fix it, Jess? Uh, with the Polyev government, there'll be a lot of fixes, a lot of changes happening. Um, I'm actually so proud that we have a leader like Pierre Polyev who takes these things seriously. He thinks about Canadians and newcomers alike. He, may, he wants to make sure that people can be in the job that they want to be in, that there are no gatekeepers or red tape in front of them that's keeping them away from the job that they want to do. Pierre gave a example of this in our Calgary rally as well, um, I believe, where there was a, uh, a German mechanic who used to work on Canadian planes in Germany. But when he moved to Canada because of the structure here, he wasn't able to work on those same planes here. So that's what motivated Pierre to say that if you can prove your skill within 60 days of moving to this country, you should be able to work in the field that you want to work in. If you're passionate about fixing those planes, you should be able to work as that mechanic that fixes those planes. And if we look at the bigger strategy, he also had a, a colleague who put forward a bill, a private member's bill, and this was simply to um, address the the problem with certificate or overseas recognition for your for your skills. And this should apply to many different fields, not just the medical field. As we know, there are nurses here that that can't be nurses because of the the the, the bureaucratic hurdles that they have in front of them. We want to make sure that we're 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 seeing people's potential for what it truly is. You should be able to serve or do what you want to do and that you're passionate about so you can contribute to Canada. And we have been the only party in, in my eyes that have been pushing this and proving it by putting bills forward that are common sense, like the one my colleague did, Brad Redekop. And Pierre is very serious and very focused on making sure that we are addressing the labor crisis that we have in this country. And this is another way to do that. I, I moved here as an immigrant with my parents as well. And my dad was uh, the head mechanic of Detroit Diesel in Dubai, where I was born. He wasn't able to do the same thing here for the under the same rules. And so this is an important issue. And I'm so glad to see that our party is very focused on that. Well, if we're worried about quality of work because of, of trade qualification levels, um, why not just have an accelerated apprentice program, you know, where, uh, say, for the trades, um, have somebody start as a fourth year's apprentice and, and, you know, just redo that instead of having to start from scratch. When my ex-wife um, went through to school to be an acupuncturist, her classroom was full of people that were doctors and pharmacists and uh, in their home country. Talk about a brain drain. But they had to start from zero to be doctors again. Now, who the heck wants to do that? There was no accelerated program, so they thought, well, I'm a healer, this is what I do, so the quickest way for me to get back to work as a professional is to be an acupuncturist. But they were MDs wherever their home country was. So with something like that, uh, how do you fix it? Like, Could it just simply be to have them... Um, like an accelerated apprentice program where, where you actually have them in the hospitals as the, as the interns and just start them as an intern to make sure that they pass, uh, jump through the hoops and every, keeps everybody safe? Um, look, that's a, that's a great point. And um, it is concerning that some, you know, you, you brought up the fact that people start from zero. 
um, some people start from negative because they don't have, they don't start with just getting into, let's say, med school. Sometimes they have to go back even further and do other upgrades, let's say, to their English, to their math, to even get to that level so they can be equivalent to what the university levels are. So that's a complaint that we get quite a bit, depending on the field that they're wanting to go into. So, so when you say the word gatekeepers, I think that gets lost in translation for a lot of people. When you say the, the gatekeepers, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're talking about the bureaucrats who can't see the forest for the trees that do everything that they can to keep somebody from going from A to B so that they can feel powerful and important and have purpose in their lives. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, the biggest gatekeeper today in Canada is Justin Trudeau who is gatekeeping not just people, but our, our industries, our agriculture, our you know, world-class energy industry. That's what he's doing. Um, just to go back to what we were talking about, I think a lot of that also has to do with immigration. Um, you know, The federal government has not done a good job of communicating or even sitting down and talking to and consulting with the provinces because this, this recognition of, of your, your, your skills, this should be... Uh, this should be a starter. This should be where the federal government sits down with the provinces and says, look, we need to address the labor crisis we have in this country. It's driving small businesses out of business because they're having to pay a lot more for labor or they're not able to keep their doors open for as long as they'd like to. And so to address that, we need to, we need to ask the provinces. If I, was, if I was the immigration minister, I would ask them, what do you guys need? Is it more uh, autonomy as far as do you want us to give you a little bit, a little bit more uh, power in your hands as far as what what industry needs what right now? How many people do you need in what industry? How do we lift those caps that we have in order to for you to address those labor um, issues that you're having in your in your provinces? I think that the federal government has shut out the provinces, so the provinces are are fighting back and and looking for more autonomy now because of that. And along with that is is there is a skill recognition. Our immigration system today is a complete mess. It's never been this bad ever in Canada's history. We've never had as many backlogs as we had uh, what we have today. And what is that causing? That's causing families to to be separated. I've watched in front of my eyes divorce, divorces happen, suicides I've, I've heard of just because they don't think that they're ever going to get together with their family here in Canada. And this coming from the kinder, gentler government who claims that if you're not a liberal, you're a racist. That, that's right. And, 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 and Jazz, i got to ask you, how long have you been a white supremacist? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess according to them, as long as I've been a conservative. But, oh, okay. um, you know, that's the thing. They, they, they will demonize anyone and everyone that doesn't have the same, uh, you know, ideology as them. The other fact is that through immigration, we can, we can help our economy as well. We can address the labor shortages. The small businesses will get the support that they need. Our economy is, is hit so hard right now. And it's because of the mismanagement that's happening and, and no support from the liberal government to our, our leading industries here in this, in this country. So, you know, these things go hand in hand. Um, our team is, is very focused. We just recently had, as you know, a, a shadow cabinet shuffle. And just the, the portfolios and the focus on economy and the economic issues, um, it, it just goes to show how, how focused Pierre Polyev is on making sure that we are government in waiting, that when we do form government under him, um, we won't be starting from zero. We'll be, we'll be ready to go. What are some of the biggest misconceptions about conservatives in general and Pierre Polyev in, in particular? You know, the, the, it, it's really... Um, 
I find it very disappointing when when anyone would ask, especially someone like me, like what um, you you guys are, you know, they stereotype as as conservatives are racist, anti-immigration. And, you know, for someone like me who moved here, who lived through a lot of racism in my life. Sure. Um, you know, I was very blessed that I was around people and, and I used that same experience that I had of, you know, having racism being, you know, done to me to be able to help others with it. And what I've seen from our conservative team is they use their experiences to help others. We don't we don't come from posh backgrounds. Um, you may or may not know me, me and me and Pierre actually share a somewhat similar background. We have very humble beginnings. Um, I moved here um, when I was five, right into the riding that I get to represent today. We stood in line for low-income bus passes growing up. We were very economically insecure, and we went through really hard times. And, you know, Pierre Polyev is someone who came from humble beginnings too. He was born and bred here in Calgary. Mm-hmm. And he was, um, he, he was born from an uh, unwed mother, adopted. And, so it, it go, and, and he made something out of nothing for himself, much like what our immigrants do. But today people don't realize that same thing. So when people say, you know, conservatives are racist, I, I should be a living example of how, how false that narrative is. Someone who looks like me, um, that came here as an immigrant, was fortunate enough to be able to put in a lot of hard work, own my own business in this country, and now I'm able to represent the same riding that I moved to when I first moved to Canada. And then I was the first, I, was the first, I believe, um, you know, um, ethnic uh, immigration critic for the Conservative Party. And now I have such a huge responsibility. Pierre Polyev has put this big responsibility on my shoulders of being the finance critic. It's not a big, it's not a small thing. So when those, con, you know, those misconceptions come out, these are all fear-mongering from the liberals. They're completely false in narrative because they can't stand on their record. That's why they do those things. For someone to say that Pierre Polyev is, is, is far right, he's literally married to a Venezuelan refugee who herself and her family built everything up from zero and made themselves successful. But that is the beauty of this country. And every conversation I've had with Pierre Polyev says he wants every single immigrant to have the same opportunities as what me and him have had to succeed in this country. I don't know if I've ever seen an organization in my life that would actually fit the description of far right. I don't even know if there are any, but anything that uh, challenges the Liberal Party in any way, shape, or form is automatically called far right. Um, I'd like to hear their definition of far right because the the Liberal Party, whatever it is, like I've voted Liberal in the past. Hell, I was a member of the NDP. I know, I know. Um, I was even a member of the NDP at one point oh. in the Jack Layton days. You're making me double think why I'm on here. I now. tell you. <laughs> well, Jack's a, I like Jack. Yeah, Jack was a good guy. You know, um, but at that time, I made my political decisions just like everybody, most people do, which is, I like that guy. So I'm going to vote for that person because that's the person that makes Absolutely. the most sense. And at that time, Jack was the most uh, well-spoken. He did mm-hmm. the best of the debates. Uh, he seemed like a sorted out fella. And I'm like, Jack, Jack it is then. And, and I uh, was a party member for a short time. Now, that was just when it's like, I like that person. That's who I vote for. But now that I have a more nuanced understanding of the culture of politics and what it means to uh, go one way or the other, um, 
I have no choice but to be conservative. I have lots of liberal leanings, but um, my wife's an educator. She was a she had to retire early from being a school principal because of the state of uh, education. So four years early, she retired to get the heck out of that uh, racket, you know, because things are going nuts for. Her. Um, but the the entire society has moved so far to the left, and some of that is good. I'm actually quite happy for it. Um, like the jokes that I heard in the 80s about East Indian people or anybody, I don't hear those anymore. And thank God for that. You know, Absolutely. Because uh, I was just as guilty as anybody else, man. Uh, grew up in small town Alberta. So all the jokes, mm-hmm. you know, I remember them all. And you still hear them around the campfire once in a while, but they're not okay anymore. Mm-hmm. And everybody that gets shut down now when when they're told. So that's a good shift, you know. And I don't know if that's to the left or that's just towards decency. Mm -hmm. But either way, that's a good shift for society. So I like that stuff. Yep. You know, that's good inclusivity. Yeah. Who 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 doesn't want that? (laughs) That's right. You know, that's a good thing. But um, yet the exact same people that are yelling inclusive, inclusive, cut society in half. And uh, and said the dirty, unwashed, plague-ridden, unvaxed. Mm-hmm. That sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? It does. Well, it sounds like Justin Trudeau. Yeah, that's right. And unacceptable views. Mm-hmm. Those are the words of a dictator. Now, I had John Barlow in my garage uh, right in the beginning of COVID, and I said, John, if. Trudeau could find a path to be a dictator, would he do it? And his immediate response, well, you can't. Like, there's no path. Like, you couldn't do it. I said, that's not what my question was, John. I said, if he could find a path, would he take it? And he paused for a second. He said, yeah, yeah, he would. In a heartbeat, he would. He's just that kind of guy. I see him on this path, but people in our art, hesitant to say the words but it looks like a duck it walks like a duck uh is he on the path to being a dictator you know um he's this he's put this country on a scary path i will say that you you do bring up a point that's uh really close to home with me as well it's you know when he demonized those that didn't have the same um views as him we all saw that throughout the um throughout the election last year that he selfishly called with the most expensive election where he got an expensive the most expensive cabinet shuffle is what he got out of it cuz nothing changed that was a time when when uh he really showed who he who he was those sunny ways were absolutely gone by then he was a person that would demonize any and everyone that didn't have the same views as him and day by day you know with these court documents that recently came out it proves that every decision that he made was political science and not based on actual science. Did you see the uh, statements in the uh, European Parliament from the CEO of Pfizer? Uh, yeah, and and you know, day by day, things are, are coming out. But again, it, this is this was Justin Trudeau trying to capitalize on someone and a group of people that didn't hold the same views as him, so he could get electoral success. The entire election was based on that. And, you know, right now, today, under Pierre Polyev, there is a light at the end of this dark tunnel. Because we've seen that, how there's a major shift happening. How policy decisions under the Liberal government have changed immediately after Pierre Polyev 
took the helm as our, our conservative leader. And we have to work hard that we continue to raise the voice of every Canadian and not divide like what Justin Trudeau has done for our industries. He's divided provinces. He's divided people. We are going to be that hope. Pierre Polyev wants to bring more hope to this country and less hurt. And Justin Trudeau has done the exact opposite. And even when we look at what happened in Ottawa with the protests, that was because there was people fed up with Justin Trudeau's uh, virtue signaling, with his name calling, with his demonizing of people that didn't hold the same views as him. And he did not need to invoke the Emergencies Act at that time. It was invoked because he sat on his hands for three weeks, hid away from people that just wanted to talk to him, that had real concerns about the mandates that we know were based on political science. And he invoked an act that was never invoked before just because he didn't want to deal with them. And now what we see is more and more Canadians upset, Canadians more and more divided. But under Pierre Polyev, I do see a hope now. I see a lot more people coming together, a lot more people joining our party, having 675,000 memberships for our last leader in our last leadership race is not a small thing. It was the biggest political party in Canada's history right now. And so that goes to show that we are bringing people together and not dividing them. There's a famous um, science experiment that was actually done by a university professor that uh, took the role of a child, uh, like a middle school teacher. And she, she goes into this middle school and she tells uh, the kids in the class, everybody with um, blue eyes in this class is inferior. They are not as smart. They're dirty. They are unwashed. They are less of a human being than than all the brown-eyed kids. And the most interesting thing happened. Instead of the brown-eyed kids going, hey, I'm special, I'm smart, cool, that wasn't enough for them. Mm-hmm. Instead, what they did is they became hostile, abusive towards all the blue-eyed kids. It's uh, the Jane something experiment, uh, experiment. I forget her last name. I just wrote an article on it. But um, this exact same thing This is long-known psychology, and it has been done for thousands of years by scary leaders who who want to move the masses. And this is exactly what was done to uh, those that chose to not get the jab. They were told that they had unacceptable views, that they were killing your children, all of it which has been proven wrong, and... Everybody who, um, or a great big chunk of people that got the poke, it wasn't just enough for them to say, okay, I got the poke, I feel safe now, you know. Uh, But they felt superior, and they became abusive and bigoted towards everybody that made a different decision in their life. It was unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it in my life, Absolutely. And now that we know for a fact that it it was based on lies, that there was never, ever any science that to justify any of the lockdowns. Considering uh, the damage, the suicides that have happened, um, people that have missed out, like my own child, who wasn't able to go to cadet camp mm-hmm. because uh, he decided not to get the jab. That's right. So we have this two-tier back-of-the-bus society. How do we make them pay for hurting people based on a lie you know how do do we keep people accountable here i think you know 
you bring up a, a few things, a couple things really hit home for me. Um, what these mandates did, I, I, I watched my um, five-year-old daughter at that time um, because of the mandates and, and, you know, the masks and the just dividing kids inside of school. Um, I watched my, my five-year-old suffer a lot mentally. She wasn't able to handle, she's a very social butterfly, much more than I, I could ever be. Um, but because of these, the, this, this fear-mongering and, and this scare that they put on everyone, I remember not being able to drop her off at the front of the door without her fighting, saying, I, I can't do this, I can't do this, uh, having nightmares. She would wake up with knots in her stomach. She went through a lot, and, and that's why it really hits home to me that how many people suffered because of the political science Justin Trudeau used against those that were not vaccinated, how he demonized other people. Um, it, it really, it, it was very, very, um, it was obviously wrong. And I think what we, what we need to do is have, a, have new leadership. And, and that's, that's what it comes down to, actually, Mark. It, it, it all comes down to leadership. Le- leaders unite people. And this is why people are so upset today. We should have had leadership at that time that united people, that said, you know, you have views that are different than mine, but that's okay. That's the beauty of this country. I know immigrants that, that as, as soon as they get off the plane, most refugees that I've dealt with kiss the, the ground as soon as they land on this amazing place that we call Canada. Because the, the rights and freedoms that we have here are, are much different than other places. But a lot of people didn't feel that throughout well, this pandemic. Pe- people forget how North America was formed, Jazz. North America was formed by people leaving the kings and the dic- other types of dictators. They're like, you know, dictatorship sucks. I can't do what I want to do when I want to do it. I can't forge my own path in life. So they got on rickety, leaky, rat-infested ships with their families That's right. with like a 30% chance of dying when they crossed the ocean. And I don't know that actual number, but let's just say. And uh, either way, it was risky. A really risky, dangerous trip. Not a good time to come to a place where they don't know anybody and a lot of times didn't even know the language uh, to start from scratch and try to find a way to feed their family. So dictatorships suck. You know, no doubt. What, what people no doubt. Will, will do to escape them is unbelievable. And what I have heard the most is from people that have escaped or um, either themselves or their parents have escaped, like uh, the former Czechoslovakia. Um, I was in Yugoslavia, mm-hmm. okay? People that, ex- that escaped crap like that um, and did unbelievable things in order to escape. Absolutely. You know? Uh, in, including a, a group that flippin' swam from Croatia to Italy. That's wow. a bit of a swim. Absolutely. You know, with a, on a log or something to get across. Um, that's what people will do to escape dictators and war and having a boot on your throat. And it's those people that have escaped it in the past, that have seen it in the past. They're the ones sounding the alarm the loudest that it's happening again but you say it out loud oh you're a conspiracy theorist no i'm not blind deaf and dumb i'm looking at what's happening and it's happening don't gaslight me by telling me that justin trudeau is not becoming a dictator he's becoming a dictator and how do we know he's ignoring the rule of law constantly using orders in council uh, to rule over his fiefdom by fiat 
Well, do, do you, you know, see, do you see it the same way? You, you know what? I'm, I'm I, on I, a bit of a soapbox here. I, w- I will tell you that um, our party is going is continually calling now for um, to look into the response of the pandemic. That's what that's what we've been saying. To go back and see what decisions were made, why they were made, what contracts were given out, and why they were given to those people, and. I don't know if you remember this or not, but there were two liberal MPs during the pandemic that said that Justin Trudeau politicized the pandemic at that time. Now, one of those MPs just recently is also calling for the same thing, that there should be a pandemic response audit on exactly what happened. When we talk about justice or we talk about, um, you know, how do we how do we hold them accountable? This is where we start as a as a. As a conservative party inside the opposition, this is where we start. And I feel that once it comes to light what happened throughout the pandemic and why those decisions were made by them, I I hope that will give some of those that, you know, some type of justice to people. I don't think that what happened to them throughout this pandemic, I don't think that they would ever once again feel like they were either fully compensated or okay with what happened to them. But that's all on Justin Trudeau. So for us, if we can find out why they made those decisions and get some of that, that to bring that to light, I hope that brings just a little bit of justice back to people. Like I said, my own personal story at home, I don't think I or my daughter would ever be able to recover from even just dropping her off. I, I felt I could only feel so much as a parent, but to see her go through what she went through, it was it was very hard. It still hits me today. So when I do talk to those people that have been discriminated because they stayed unvaccinated, I, I feel that pain. I, I know that there's. I have family members who made the decision decision not to not to get the jab too. But again, that's why I brought up leadership. We should be okay with people that if they want to make their own decisions, we shouldn't have restrictions on them because they make those decisions. They're not breaking the law. If you're not breaking the law, you should be able to have those. Your, your own views. That's the beauty of this country. And you know what? Our conservative party is the same way. We are a big tent party. When you look at the parties from the left, not so much. You cannot have your own thoughts. You can't have your own ideology. They're very, very limited to that. You, you just said you have your own example of how you, know, you have leaning to the right and to the left, but that's okay. That is okay under our party and under, under uh, Pierre Polyev. We prove that because even when it comes to private members' bills or bills of conscience rights, we are not ever told that you have to vote a certain way. We have the freedom to vote the way we want to vote, whatever our conscience, whatever our constituents. So you don't have a party whip uh, beating you into submission? We have proof of that. Just over the last two years, there has been bills that have been conscience rights bills where, as a party, we are able to vote whichever way we want to vote. And that includes what our values are, what our constituents are saying, or what are some, for some of us, what our faith says. So we do have a party that is open, big tent party. And this is what leadership is, what Pierre Polyev is showing is leadership, that you, you're okay to be unvaccinated in this country. There shouldn't be any stipulation. There shouldn't be any type of um, you know discrimination that takes place on you because of that decision. And... Um, you know, with the, with the way things are looking right now, people are upset. And, you know, Alberta, we get it here. We, we are a, a conservative province. And the more I go to Ontario, I've made trips to Montreal. People are getting it out there too now. I will say that. We just need to do more, um, you know, 
We need to go out there more. We need to talk to more people. And that's what Pierre Polyev is focused on. Um, because when we do form the next government, there will be a, a big difference. Let's talk about your new role. You got some big shoes to fill there, brother. <laughs> it's an understatement. Yeah. How are you going to do that? Um, look, I'm just glad that, okay, first of all, I'm, I'm absolutely honored. I, I'll, I will say I cannot, first of all, thank the amazing people of Calgary Forest Lawn for putting such such trust and, and giving me this big responsibility. You mean all those racist cowboys? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Is, <laughs> is that who put you in, a bunch of racist cowboys? Uh, aren't those the same racist cowboys that, that had, uh, uh, what's that mayor's name that we had for about 30 years? Yeah. You know, you know what? Uh, again, all those I'm, racist cowboys, I, I tell I, you, they, they sure got a thing for brown folk. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I'm absolutely honored that they would that they let me be their voice in Ottawa. I'm I'm as equally as honored as uh, Pierre Polyev, who is um, who is known for his role as the finance critic for many years, who has held the government to account sometimes all by himself, um, has put this you know responsibility on me. And and they are massive shoes to fill. But they're going to be filled by not just me, but by an entire conservative team, a caucus that is focused on those issues that I know I'm not going to be tackling this all by myself, but that we have a full team. If you look at our shadow cabinet, the way that the portfolios are even given out, this is going to be attacking things on all fronts, not just to the government, but being able to consult with Canadians, to consult with small businesses, to make sure that we have the most input for when we do form our next election platform or when we do form government, that we're ready to govern immediately. Because right now is the time to listen, right time, and we will continue to hold the government to account. There's no doubt about that. We've been doing that for the last seven years. Well, I hope you have one hell of a mental health spending account because you're going to need some therapy after dealing with uh, <laughs> the, the, the person on the other side of the aisle, the most condescending politician I've ever met or seen in my entire life. How in the world are you going to be able to keep a straight face dealing with Christia Freeland? Look, uh, um, it'll just, it, it'll take one, just someone to watch question period and watch our exchanges with them um, to really appreciate what kind of work is going on. Uh, you know, they, they'll say, they call it question period, not answer period, but that doesn't stop us. <laughs> we, we, we won't stop atta- We won't stop going after them for it, the horrible decisions that they're making. We've got to change the house rules, Jazz. You know, um, avoiding a question completely um, uh, using the schoolyard tactic of, well, yeah, but you... Yeah, but Harper, somehow Harper's still relevant. He's he's the bane of liberal existence. But when when a question is asked, the Canadian public deserves to hear a bloody answer. And when that isn't happening, there are no consequences. It's just like, "Eh, well, I'm a politician, so instead of answering what you asked me, I'm going to answer what I want to talk about, which is not the same thing. And how do we fix it? Is there a house rule that we could propose and, and to fix that so that it just doesn't happen so that we have uh, a, a speaker of the house that says, Hey, 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 no, uh, we're not, we're not getting off this until you actually answer that. That was a yes or no question. Come on. Canadians want to know what's the answer. Uh, look, I look at it the other way. Um, I, I look at it the fact that it proves more and more that this liberal government is not serious about anything. They never have been. They've gotten away with this long with their sunny ways and avoiding any type of accountability, any type of, you know, scandals that they've committed. Um, But this is the time when we look at the other side. 
let's put us on that side of the house. Let's get a real accountable and responsible government and that's going to make changes for Canadians that are suffering today. We're working towards that. The more we ask these questions that Canadians are asking and the more that they have these non-answers, good. It it proves more and more day by day. I know it's frustrating, but we will get there. We will get there. There is a new hope. There's a new light here in Canada right now. How are you going to flip all these uh, red sectors? Like every First Nations area, like uh, the great big sections of Manitoba and Saskatchewan and northern Alberta, they, they always vote red every time. How do you fix that? How do you get these First Nations uh, uh, votes so that they realize, like, oh, um, if you keep doing the same thing, you keep getting the same results, we still don't have drinking water. We still don't have this. We still don't have that. You know, um, life is not a good time on most of these reservations. Uh, the, the whole system just doesn't work. And it's always the, the liberals that are painted as the heroes, but they have never done jack diddly squat other than uh, wear the ceremonial headdresses for photo ops. That's it. So Pierre Polyev just threw out his um, leadership campaign. If you just look at the numbers that he won by, he only lost eight ridings. Six of those were in Quebec. And he went on what I would say a, a big listening tour. He listened, he sat down with First Nations, he sat down with different chiefs. But this is our job too now. As these shadow portfolios, we are going to consult and listen to people, listen to First Nations and actually form policy that's going to work for this country, for work for different people, work for different sectors. We will be serious about doing that. And he's already started. Pierre Polyev has already started by talking to those chiefs to say, how can we bring more economic prosperity to this to this reserve, to, to you, to your people? How do we bring that to you? And we need to make sure that, for especially for our First Nations, I think economic sovereignty is true sovereignty for those reserves and First Nations groups. That we need to make sure that we're partnering with them. I think the Alberta government has done a good job of, of listening and, and actually implementing that, where they've... There have been partnerships and different um, projects that they're going to start. We need to make sure that we we bring more sovereignty when it comes to uh, the economic needs of different groups in this country. But we have started on that. And that's what we'll continue to do. And I think that's how we're going to be able to, you know, let's say flip some of these seats. If you look at Ontario right now, um, you know, polling should not be uh, the standard by far. Um, But the, the thing is, the more I go out there and some of the polling that is coming out, Canadians are tired of of Justin Trudeau. There is no doubt about it. But this is our time to go and listen to say, how can we fix your problem? And the main issues that we're hearing today are inflation that's out of control, just inflation, what we call. Uh, The cost of living is completely out of control. No one can afford a house in this country, let alone being able to pay your rent, pay, you know, for groceries, drive your kids to school, drive, drive to work yourself anymore. There's so many concerns that so we need to So let's talk about inflation. Um, inflation has been, they've been using euphemisms in the house, which really makes me mad. I do not like euphemisms because they're dishonest. Uh, saying that it's a global phenomenon. No, it's not a phenomenon. It's a predictable result of policy. So I remember as a kid in the 70s, my dad, I learned as a child that if you print a pile of money to pay off your debts, 
it destroys that dollar. Mexico did it with the peso. So now the, the it would take uh, a million pesos to get a cerveza. And then it happened in Russia. Wheelbarrows of rubles in the bread line to get a, a loaf of bread. And then as an adult, I was in a war where uh, the same thing happened. I would pay, when we went to the leave center in uh, Croatia, we'd pay 10,000 kuna for a can of Coke mm-hmm. and a slice of pizza. Whereas a year prior, you could have bought a really decent used car for that same 10,000 oh. kuna. And all the kuna was, was the dinar with three zeros knocked off the end. So this is what happens when you try to spend your way out of trouble. Absolutely. Right now we're spending our way out of trouble. How do we not end up destroying the Canadian diet dollar and hyperinflating? Uh, look, Justin Trudeau has done a great job of, of putting our grandkids and their grandkids possibly into the, the furthest debt that they'll ever see. And that's what we call just inflation. He's been printing money and, and borrowing money and, and you know giving out money um, for his own electoral success. But so, what he's doing is he's borrowing I, on the backs of I Canadians. know it's day one. Jazz. I know it's day one, okay? And so this is a brutal question to ask mm-hmm. you. But will you put in place a disaster plan uh, in the case of hyperinflation? Because what, ha- what happens every time when a dollar collapses is that a country goes to war. And I think most people would, would agree. It's like, huh, there's a lot of nuclear saber, saber rattling right now with uh, Russia. Isn't that interesting timing? We're talking about World War III right at a time where we're expecting dollars to collapse. It can happen in the U.S., it can happen here, and really it's going to happen at some point. It's just math. There's too much debt, not enough goods. This, this inflation that we're seeing is actually really, really stunted. The true rate of inflation isn't the 7% or whatever they're posting. Everybody can feel that it's 20%. Absolutely. And, um, and honest economists will say the real rate of inflation is actually more like 20% if you're going to be honest about it. But nobody wants to admit that inflation is actually at 20% because the next step after that is a collapse. It is hyperinflation. So as finance... Um, uh, shadow minister, are you going to have a battle plan or propose a, a disaster uh, plan should the, the the dollar collapse completely? Yeah, uh, look, um, I've been drinking from a fire hose since yesterday's uh, yeah, brother. <laughs> uh, announcement, but I will tell you this: that if if I was if we had an election and we had won today or even yesterday, I like that and, idea. You know, <laughs> um, and I was the was the finance minister of this country. Uh, there's a couple of things that we would do. We would we would definitely do the best we could to save any type of collapse from happening. And you know, I, I come from a small business background, and along with our our you know coming down and bringing down our debt on controlling our expenses that are completely out of control in this country, the amount of debt that Justin Trudeau put on us, we will rein in that. We will help to bring that down. But at the same time, as a small business owner, you also look at how do we make more revenue? How do we make sure that the, what what our, our real bread, our real, you know, the, the stuff that we're bringing in, how do we make more of that? And what would we do? We would unleash the potential that we have in our energy sector. We wouldn't continue mm-hmm. to attack our farmers like Justin Trudeau has done and put more tariffs, put put an, an increase of carbon tax. 
What we also need to look at is how do we make sure we have more investment coming back into this country and the resources that we have under our feet in this great country. How do we get that to the rest of the world so that we're accomplishing many things, including reducing emissions, which we will do with our responsible, clean energy industry that we have here in Canada. And we can sell that to the world to have great jobs here right in Canada and give our clean, responsible energy to the rest of the world, replacing dirty dictator oil that we are well, also bringing in. That's it right there. And I, I, I think that just like Pierre has been saying, triple, 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 you know, that's what, that's the message that has to be really hammered home in people's heads. Um, I've gotten into national debates before about Alberta oil. And the truth is it's the cleanest oil in the world. But the propaganda has been so effective that people think that's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. It couldn't possibly be. So that's the question for a question period is name a country that has cleaner oil than Alberta. Well, and, can, you, and you can't. I, I, can, I can promise you there's been more than just one question asked like that. But what I will tell you is that... Well, and also, why do you prefer dictator oil over Alberta oil? What makes Saudi Arabia more ethical than Alberta. Well, let's let's look at the facts. There's about 130,000 um, barrels of oil that come from uh, that we import every single day into this country. And again, as a under Pierre Polyev, under a Polyev government, he has promised that we will replace that with clean Canadian energy. And not only will we replace the, the stuff that we bring in, but we're going to be selling more outside. We will repeal and get rid of the no new pipeline bill, Bill C-69, that stopped many projects from happening in this country. We will have more projects that will transfer more of our oil, not just around our country, that will bring down the cost of, of gas and other, other things, but also to we need to sell it to more markets. We need to get it out to more markets. Yes, and that's not our only issue, though. I had R.J. Sigurdsson in here, and um, we, we talked for a good couple hours. Um, and I put to him, why is it that we're only doing the crude and, and the upgrading, but we're not uh, taking our energy all the way to the pump? Uh, we're sending it out to, to for that finishing refinery. Well, the refineries are just, they don't make money. You know, they take 100 years to pay for themselves. Well, that may be, but if that's the cost of energy independence, so that what we are pulling out of the ground is the exact same stuff that we're putting in our cars, that's a step in the right direction as far as being energy independent. Do you think that's something that we should be doing? Is, is try to keep the entire supply chain here in Canada? I mean, it's a it's a it's a goal. It's a it's a good goal to have. Uh, we need to work towards that, though. We're not we're not working towards that because we have these bills in front of us that the Liberal government put in front of Canadians and other uh, you know energy producers that they're not able to. We're not even there yet. The conversation is not there yet because well, do we're you not think, even. Doing do you think there's a chance, Jazz, that that was the real reason for the lockdowns? is to, because um, the it's almost like a cult, uh, how absolutely dedicated to reducing carbon footprint the, the, the liberals are, how demonized the idea of carbon is, that if we can keep people from tr- the commuting to work, if we can keep people at home and not driving, if we can get them to burn less gas, they're going to have a smaller carbon footprint. Do you think, being being that there is clearly no science that there's any public health benefit for the lockdowns, do you think that that's really the 
the goal was just to reduce mobility, to reduce consumption of fossil fuels, and that's the real reason for the lockdowns? Um, even outside the lockdown, this is something that they wanted. This is a government, especially this new NDP uh, liberal, this is the most costly coalition in Canada's history. This is what I believe they want. They want to keep it in the ground. They are an ideological, and you know, I'm going to channel in my... Uh, Jason Kenny, uh, you know, beast here, and say that they are they are these left wing climate zealists that just want to keep everything in the ground. But what they want, what they're going to do is is harm Canadians. They're going to make sure that those dictator countries that they flourish, that more of their energy, the more the more resources that they have, go out to the world that have no ethical standards. They don't have any environmental standards either. And if you shut down 100% of oil production in Canada right now, that does nothing for the environment. All, it, do, all. all it does is give our industry to other people. Other people take up the torch and run with it. Exactly. And it's not as clean as what, what, what ours is. There's, there's no sense in it whatsoever. And, and you have a prime minister who's been jet-setting, who flew around in the month of July while pointing his fingers at, at Canadians and saying, you guys stay home, uh, you know, we, we need to stay safe. We need to watch the environment and our emissions, yet he was jet-setting more than we've ever seen in so, the month so, of July. So worried about being safe that he went bungee jumping. That, that's right. Being bungee jumping or, or calling, um, you know, throughout the fourth wave, which was, was, supposed to, was supposedly the worst wave of all, calling a selfish election and launching Canadians into a, an unsafe environment, according, according to him. That it's unsafe to meet people, stay at home, yet let's... Let's plunge you all into an election right now just for his own electoral success. That's what the prime minister did. Again, he demonized that just like he demonizes our, our energy industry and tries to make sure that they don't flourish either. He's not, he, he is, look, his, the ideology that he has is to, is to make sure that, you know, Canadians are more reliant on the government. Where in contrast, the Conservative Party is the, the party about less government. Less government in your homes, less government in your businesses, less government in schools. We need to make sure that we're letting people have the freedom. And again, it's, it's making sure that there are no gatekeepers for Canadians' freedom and their success here in Canada. Well, if there's anything that could be... If you're going to pull the race card... I would be pulling the race card on our current policies that keep people from doing jobs that they are trained to do because of their country of origin. I mean, what could be worse? If you're going to call something racist, but it, but I hate take it, uh, playing that card unless it's genuine, you know, because that's what the other guys do. And it's just gross because it takes away from real racism, which I'm sure you've experienced once or twice in your life, you know, and that's gross. That's not okay. Every time the race card is pulled and it's not genuine, that diminishes the actual experience of racism, it, it, the actual bigotry that's happening. And that's what makes it gross by playing that card when it's just not genuine, when you're playing that card uh, for for political points, but damn it, they keep doing it because it keeps working. Because nobody wants to get painted with that brush. That, that's the thing. Look, um, the tactic I've seen from, from the left, or especially Justin Trudeau, is that they can't stand on their own record. So when they can't stand on their own record and they're being questioned, this is where they go to. This is their go-to talking point, that they will just point to a racist conservative party or you're racist because you don't have the same beliefs in me. I have never seen in my life living in Canada the amount of divide as I see today. 
yeah, some too. of the conversations that we're having today, I, 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 I've never had these conversations with people before. It's because Justin Trudeau's divided so many people more than I've ever seen in my life. And it's on purpose. It's, it is. It's, it's, it is. It's, it's to keep people divided, make sure yeah. that people don't unite, and and you know bring in a conservative government. That's what they're afraid of. That all of this nonsensical uh, ideology that's that's you know dividing Canadians that it, it continues to divide them because that's what he wants. Where there's smoke, there's fire, Raj, uh, Jazz, and where there's smoke, there's fire. I wonder. If uh, one of the the so-called conspiracy theories are that he's got stocks in in one of these uh, big pharma companies, um, in particular, there's one in um, in Vancouver, and that that he has a, a financial interest in. Now, of course, I've never seen any actual evidence of this, but I sure would like to have that looked at because where there's smoke, there's fire. There's got to be um, a reason beyond ideology why he is uh, hanging on with both hands as tight as he can to keep these ridiculous unscientific mandates going for as long as possible. Absolutely. You know, uh, there's gotta be a reason. So uh, like, how does the official opposition even look into something like that? Well, we're continuing to call for inquiry, like I said before, and I'm glad to see that one of their MPs, a liberal MP, Nathan Erskine Smith, has also been calling for inquiry into what happened during the pandemic. This includes contracts as well. We know that there was um, ventilators that were given out a contract, a single source contract to a former liberal MP. So, and and most of those were shelved. Those ventilators were not even used. So. It's things like these and contracts like these that we have been calling for inquiry. But again, Mark, we should, why are we having these conversations? This is not the kind of conversation people should be having right now. But we're having it because of how much Justin Trudeau has divided us. We should be focusing right now, in the meantime, on let's, let's get people back to work. Let's get our economy booming. Let's tackle just inflation. But that's what Justin Trudeau wants to do. He wants us to not look at that right now. He doesn't want he wa- doesn't want attention on the real issues. He wants to make sure that people are, are divided and and you know fighting amongst each other. That you are vaccinated, you're not vaccinated. That you know climate change is real. This it's always fear mongering, but it's because they are afraid of their own record and making sure that people aren't talking about real issues. In the early '80s, jazz, uh, my father was quite well to do. He was like a little mini Trump. Uh, he had all kinds of little hotels and motels, up to about 16 of them all, uh, all at once in the early 80s. He was a baller. Mm-hmm. He, was, he, was, he was moving and moving and shaking, had a Cadillac in the garage. And, uh, hey, I had an inheritance all ready to go. When Trudeau Part 1 put in the National Energy Program, all these uh, hotels and motels that depended on the on the oil patch all went under not only did we lose everything not only did i watch everything that i own and my family own get auctioned off on the driveway at pennies on the dollar but we ended up living in my uncle's basement for a year so there was one bathroom and 10 people in the house and we lived there in the basement for a year and that is all as a direct result of trudeau Part one, attacking Alberta, attacking our energy. The impact on that never wore off. My, my parents never did bounce back. Now they're like 85. My mom is still brokenhearted. 
she was suicidal, I found out, just last year, during that entire time. Uh, She thought of suicide every day because we had lost everything that my dad had worked so hard Mm -hmm. for. And now here we are, after the lockdowns, inflation, everything else, families uh, trying to figure out how to eat, going to the food bank for the first time ever in their lives. I would imagine we're having record bankruptcies right now. I am a good friends with the Veterans Association Food Bank. I'm quite active there, and uh, they are busy, and the shelves are bare. They need donations like a week ago. Um, times are beyond tough. They are desperate, and people are losing their houses left and right. I do, I'm not convinced that that message has really been conveyed with its full power in the house. Is that something you're going to endeavor to do to really illustrate the impact on Canadians that is happening right now because of inflation? Um, look, Mark, I, I, it goes way beyond that. Um, it's, it goes beyond just a question period, which we have been raising over and over again. The sad fact in this country is that more and more families are using food banks. More and more families are going into homeless shelters. We see it in our offices. We see it every day when we're out talking to people. One in six small businesses are are just on the brink of closing down in this country. Inflation, the cost of living, just the cost to run their businesses. More and more students are being driven into food banks and homeless shelters as well. You know, the, the, the example you gave of your family is, the, is today's example of our international students that come here. Sure. There are 10 to 15 of them that are living in the same conditions. Um, and that is the reality under Justin Trudeau. There are more and more Canadians that are just $200 away from insolvency. That's the state. This is Canada. This is a G7 country. And you have its citizens on the brink of, of, of bankruptcy. More and more people that come here are wanting to leave after the first two years because because they can't afford anything here anymore. And drug use is coming up uh, and homelessness is up which is wildly. A, which is a huge symptom of just inflation. And because of the, and the cost of living, people are, are missing meals nowadays. People are putting water, you know, moms are putting water in, in milk so that they can spread out how much food that they have. More, less and less, um, you know, healthy food is on the tables for children in this country. It's a G7 country. This goes beyond question period, Mark. This is this is a very very concerning thing under under Justin Trudeau. Canada has gone more deeper into debt, and Canadians are suffering more and more. But you won't hear that in question period. You won't hear an answer, I should say, in question period. You will hear questions from us because they will talk about anything but their massive failures that continue to see families suffer here in Canada. 30 years ago, when I graduated battle school, my first posting was in Victoria. Well, Esquimalt, Workpoint Barracks. Beautiful, beautiful place. And how lucky was I? We called it the Hollywood Battalion. Mm -hmm. And at that time, 30 years ago, downtown Victoria was vibrant. My God, it was gorgeous. And uh, people were happy. And there was buskers out on the street. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it it was paradise. You know, there was a reason that tourists would flock there. It was flipping fantastic Mm -hmm. jazz. Last year, my wife and I went um, right to at an Airbnb and at uh, right on the end of Fantan Alley in downtown Victoria. It's a shithole. It all went to hell. Mm-hmm. the 
the vibe is gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Market Square is it's like a ghost town. Um, no, no buskers. I watched a guy die from an OD. I, I walked over, oh. like right over him as the paramedics are, are mm-hmm. coming. The tent cities. Mm-hmm. And this is the canary in the coal mine. This is what Justin Trudeau is driving the entire country towards. Uh, the, some of the nasty areas of Vancouver, how Victoria is right now. If that's what you want, go check out these areas and say, hey, is this, is this what the, how I want the whole country to be? Because that's the way we're going. We, we, have to, we have to end the insanity. Look, look I, I, I make no excuses for Justin Trudeau, but how do you expect someone who probably hasn't filled a, a tank of gas in his own car in his life or, or gone grocery shopping for himself, how do you expect that person to even understand the suffering that he's causing on Canadians? But he he but, can't and like and I actually have um, I, I don't like all the hateful memes about the guy and the F Trudeau bumper stickers. I'm not a fan of that because it's not helpful. I, I agree with you, and I think it's about continuing to push the message of Canadians. Look, I I've, I I like I said, I, I was in home building. We went through a recession back in 2008 2009 under when Stephen Harper was prime minister. But what we saw was a quick recovery. We saw a responsible government that hunkered down and actually consulted with the other parties to make sure that they were finding the best solutions. And even in the home, home building industry, we saw a quick recovery. We saw people bounce back quicker. In 2015, that's when I personally saw in the home building industry, because real estate, home building, and um, you know our energy industry, they basically are almost parallel to each other, especially when we look at inside of Alberta. And at the end of 2015, I, I saw a very, very concerning trend. I saw, uh, you know, I had people who bought homes inside of our, our you know, uh, the infill areas starting to call back and say, we need to, we, we just want to ask if we can give our house back to you. We were in the, we were in the, you know, either that we worked for Husky or Shell or, or you know, some type of uh, oil and gas company. And they wanted to give back their houses because they were they were being laid off left side right and center. At the same time, I was watching tradespeople who had for ten years run their successful trades business, whether it was plumbing, electrical, you name it. They were laying. They they used to have crews of ten to fifteen people, but they were having to lay them off and go back into the field themselves because because they couldn't afford to pay other people anymore. Things had slowed down that much, and to be honest with you. Since 2015, people haven't truly recovered from that. People no. haven't recovered from that. We should have responsible government that that saw, that recognized that this is happening, like what what Stephen Harper did at the time, and recognized, look, we need to save our economy. We need to save Canada. And since the end of 2015, I have not seen Canada recover. Things are more costly. Labor is most co- more costly. Well, and I think the worst is yet to come. Um I think, and my family has put our money where our mouth is and we've made the appropriate moves. We're renting this house right now. Mm-hmm. We sold two years ago because I've seen this before. Mm-hmm. When inflation is high, the only way to stave that off is by having the Bank of Canada rate higher. Mm-hmm. So if our actual inflation rate is at 20%, the real inflation rate where does that put our interest rate the, the, to to stave off hyperinflation, to stave off a collapse? It puts uh, it over 20%. Absolutely. That puts us back to 1980, 
three, you know, not a place that we want to be. So right now, that Bank of Canada rate, it will go between 9 and 12%. I can guarantee it because it's physics. I'm not Kreskin. I don't have uh, Harriet's magic hat and pulling things out of that. It's just physics. It's, econ- it's economics 101. So the Bank of Canada rate will go between 9 and 12%, somewhere up there. When that happens, there will be a housing collapse. Record bankruptcies will be right back to the 80s. It will happen again. So <laughs> what do we do with that? Look, this is, this is again, another, this is a symptom of, of just inflation that's going to be put on the backs of Canadians. This is a time when a government needs to step up and be responsible. We need to rein in the this, this spending, this out-of-control spending. But at the same time, we need to make sure that our, our industries don't collapse. We need to make sure there's no, no extra burden being put on our energy industry, on our farmers, those people that produce our energy and food. We need to be supporting them. And what Justin Trudeau and, and, and Jagmeet Singh are doing coming up is they're going to be uh, increasing our payroll taxes on January the 1st. And by next year, they are going to triple, triple, triple the carbon tax. So not only are they not supporting the industries that, that give us so much, that put food on our table, that heat our homes, they're also going to be taking more out of Canadians' pockets. It's like they're, they're driving the bus into the wall on purpose. It, it, it's true. It's a, it's a good analogy. And, and this is the time when, when if, the, if he was going to show any type of responsibility or sympathy to Canadians, this is the time to do it. This is the time to step up and do it. The craziest thing, and I still haven't seen it in question period get um, really dealt with properly, but when they say, well, yeah, we're going to tax the hell out of you, but magically, because magic, we're going to Harry Potter this thing, and we're going to give you back more money than what we steal from you. Which which is completely uh, false. It's a, it's a false narrative, and the, and the public budgeting officer actually have, has proven that wrong. They've 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 proven that that's a misleading well, well, statement. Well, let's let's pretend it's right. Let's pretend that they can Harry Potter money, and take they're going to forcibly take your money, Harry Potter it, and give it back to you with interest. Well, if you got this magical skill, why take the money in the first place? That that's exactly it. First of all, you don't get more money than than what you give. So what exactly what what is the point of giving and then? pretending like you're going to get something more back. It's been proven wrong. Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. Well, Ontario. you just want everybody's uh, teeth to fall out. <laughs> you hate children. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's what it is. You hate children. You think every kid should be toothless. You monster. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's... What do you uh, got against kids, Jess? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's a great way to fear monger, but I, I, I will tell you that more money does not go back, especially if we look at Alberta. Once they triple the carbon tax, people are going to be paying close to $2,300 more out of their pocket. The public budgeting officer has proven that. People are already suffering. And when you look at, when they say we're doing this for the environment, we're going to, we're going to put a price on pollution. But what this, this really is, is a punishment to people, hardworking people. Right now, Albertans don't get more than what they give in the carbon tax. Every single year emissions have gone up in Canada. And every single year they miss their mission, their, uh, mission, their emission reduction target gets missed every single year. So to say that they're actually working on the environment is completely false. Well, it's misleading. Electrical, it on the backs it's of proven. Green cars aren't green. 
wind and solar isn't green. I wish it was. You know, I was very much on the side of, hey, wind and solar, alternative energy. I love all that stuff, but for different reasons. I like the independence of it. You know, I would like to be off the grid. Cool stuff. Net zero, cool stuff, if you can do it. But then when you actually look into it uh, and and look at the, the, the life cycle impact it ain't greener. It's way, way, way less green. Michael Moore himself, the greeniest, leftiest guy in Leftville, and did a documentary saying, yeah, I really thought that solar and wind was was good, and so did I. But it's not good. It is less green. It is less ethical, not more ethical. The cobalt. I mean, children in mines picking up cobalt and 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 lithium child labor ain't cool man look mark again i'll i'll take it back to the point that that always gets to me is that it's about leadership look companies themselves know what's responsible these days they're the ones who who they move from propane to gas they were the ones who started getting to electrical vehicles. They understand themselves that not everything lasts forever. But it shouldn't be the government forcing their hand because they have an ideology and then forcing that on to Canadians. What should, have hap- what should happen is we should have a good economic environment in this country where businesses and you know those that manufacture cars, those ones that produce our energy, that... They already know that themselves. They're the ones who are, they have been reducing our emissions in this country. They're the ones responsible for it. And we need to help them more so that they can work on that. We did not need to buy the pipeline. We should have had an economic environment here where that company was able to find savings on their own. They were able to find where more emissions could be reduced. At the same time, making sure that we could sell more of our clean, responsible energy to the rest of the world. Well, I've pers- and I said this to RJ, I don't care how crazy it sounds because I saw it with my own two eyes. I personally know the guy who had the distributions rights for something called Geetgast, which has been debunked, air quotes. It's not debunked. I've seen it with my, uh, with my own eyes. Basically, the technology can take any smokestack and uh, make it so there's zero emissions. And it's not difficult. It's not expensive. It's pretty simple. I can almost understand it, and I'm certainly no engineer. Um, but it can be done. It can be done easily. And the same technology can be shoved onto any car, um, and, and emissions, poof, gone. I personally called the David Suzuki Foundation. They hung up on me because they don't actually want solutions. There are solutions. If little old me can find one solution, there's probably a thousand of them. And that's the key. We've got to... Um, bring these out of the woodwork and open up the, uh, the, the patents, right. And, and put laws on the patents so that they can't bury stuff like this for a hundred years. It's got to be dug up, exposed and used. We have the technology today Absolutely. to, to fix these things that we say are problems. And I agree with you. And, and again, we need to create that economic environment so people can continue to find other ways for us to bring down emissions as well with what we have today. And there are solutions, like you said. It's the it's the political environment and the economic environment that Justin Trudeau has created where people aren't able to... He doesn't want solutions. That. He wants control. But, the, old, the old adage, I think it's Socrates, that where power... Um, 
Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely, I say it, that where power can expand, it will expand. That's why in the U.S. they have um, the Constitution. That is a firewall to expanding power. We don't have that. The power of the prime minister is way more than the power of a U.S. president as far as being able to be um, a, a dictator. And that's something we've got to fix. We need reform so that uh, the the PMs can't be making orders in council outside of the House. That is the opposite of a democracy. When you can just wave your magic wand and Harry Potter anything that you want uh, without having to put put it through the elected representatives. Look, Mark, uh, uh, Pierre uh, Polyev, our leader, um, throughout his rallies, was very, very clear. We are, as elected representatives, really just the people. Uh, we, we are the represent, rep, representatives of the people. He gives examples of why the floor of the House of Commons is green. We are the commoners. We are not the end of the road, the people who are, are you know, casting whatever ideology we want. We are here to listen and act for, for the best interest of Canadians. And the Prime Minister should be the one that is the most common person. And that's how Pierre Polyev is leading. He is continuing to lead like that. Even after he won his leadership, you, I don't know if anyone can say he's changed on anything. He, every time we have a conversation with him, he reminds us that we are just commoners. And we are the people that are the voice of our constituents. That's who we are. We are here to serve and serve only. The people are our masters, not the other way around. When the government is scared of the people, that's freedom, that's democracy. When the people are scared of the government, that's tyranny. And show me a Canadian that isn't scared of the government right now. Look, our constituents, in in my opinion, are our bosses. They hire that's and fire That's how it's supposed us. to be, Jazz. That's how they hire. They are the people who hire and fire us. If we're doing a bad job, they have every right to fire us. And that's the way it should be. We should be bringing their voices to Ottawa and not Ottawa's voice onto them. And that is why I'm so proud that our leader is, he's been around for eight, around 18 years, I believe it is now, inside the House of Commons in a, in a very left-leaning city. He's, he's, he's literally an MP in Ottawa, out of all places, and he's, and he's been in there for so long. But it's because he is connected to the people. He goes and he visits coffee shops. He goes to the doors, even outside of elections. He talks to people. And that's what we'll continue well, to do. Well, if he's really for the people, he'll be on my show. I've invited him like <laughs> 10 times, and that stinker hasn't been on here yet. So let's see if he walks the walk and he comes on uh, Operation Tango Romeo. Jazz, anything uh, that, that we've missed that you that needs to be said? Look, I, I again, I'm, I'm, it's an honor being on your, on your podcast, Thanks, Mark. I, I really mean it from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your service. Um, we need to... We need to help Canadians more than ever right now. Um, there is a crisis going on in this country. It's caused by inflation, the high cost of living, the home affordability that, that's just not there for Canadians. We're here to bring hope and not hurt back to Canadians. This is our job. This is our duty. Um, I, I'm just saying, throwing it out there to everyone, please send us your suggestions. Send us your stories. Let us be your voice so we can, we can tell this costly coalition how much more that they're hurting Canadians. Our job is to make sure we're listening and then acting on it. We will continue to fight just inflation. And come next election, we will see a responsible polyev government that actually cares for Canadians and that will make sure that our 
world-class responsible energy industry and our agriculture sector will be booming and the talk of this world. Well, so. you sound like a wackadoo conspiracy theorist to me, <laughs> so it, it all sounds good. Jazz, thanks for being here. Thanks I really, so much, brother. really, really appreciate it. And um, let's hope the good guys win on this one. Absolutely. We need everyone's help. <laughs> oh, God, do we ever. <laughs> all right, Jazz. Everybody, thank you for tuning in. This was a bonus episode of Operation Tango Romeo, the podcast. Weren't talking about trauma, although uh, what's been going on the last couple of years, I think has been pretty traumatic. And uh, if you don't believe me, talk to a therapist. They are all having one heck of a boom right now. Uh, mental health in across the country. Therapists are absolutely overrun. Mental health clinics are absolutely overrun. And the the impact has just been horrific to pretend otherwise is just ghoulish have a heart everybody thanks for tuning in hi everybody today's episode is brought to you by the veterans association food bank you can find them at veterans association they are dedicated to supporting and enriching the lives of veterans and their families as a community of veterans helping veterans they support the base where together they create healthy and resilient futures. They do more than just feed veterans in need. There's all kinds of programs that they have to support the veteran community. So please consider giving veteransassociationfoodbank.ca.